Good morning. You know the drill. Will you stand up with us? Let's sing forevermore, I am yours. Thank you so much, praise team. How's everyone doing today? Good morning, Kavanaugh Church family. Hope everyone's doing well, and I'm so glad that you've made it back here this weekend. Everyone having a good weekend so far? Good, awesome. I don't know about you, but when I'm singing that song, I, I, moments in my life just kind of flash back, and I just remember where I was and where I am now, and I'm just so thankful for Jesus and what he's done for me in my life. Can I get an amen, anybody? Can anyone testify to that? 
It's so good to see where God has brought us and, and the hope that we have now. And I, and I pray that you know that hope this morning. I really do. To be able to sing, forever, I am yours. That's amazing. That's truly amazing and life-changing. So, so, so thankful that you're here. Um, and I hope that you come prepared to worship and, and to, to gather around God's word today. Because I know it's an, it's an amazing one. But before we get there, if you're a guest uh, or you've been coming for a few weeks and we have not been able to connect with you and, and, and get to know you, we really want to. And so in the chair back in front of you, not the pew back. We used to, I think we got so used to saying pew back. In the chair back in front of you, there's a little uh, connect card. We would love for you to fill that out we, uh, so, we can, so we can have that. And then if you take that to the back, there's a little, little tables in the lobby. We will, if you exchange that, we'll give you a, a gift card in exchange for that. So best place in town to eat. So uh, do that. We would love to be able to tell you about our church um, and what's going on here because we have a lot of exciting things going on. So we love you guys again. So thankful that you're here. I invite you all to stand. And we're going to ask God's anointing on our services today. Let's pray. Lord, I love you again. Thank you so much for bringing us back together into this place. We love our church and we love what you are doing here, God. So, Lord, as, the, as we continue to worship and as the, the word is presented to, today to us and as our pastor just brings it, God, just open our hearts, align our hearts and our focus to you. And as we put our distractions aside, we bring in all that you want us to hear and we become the people that you want us to be. We love you so much in your name. Amen. Let's continue to praise.
today that we can come into your house and we can worship you, God, and we can come boldly before your throne and we can ask for you to do all the things that you're famous for, to shut the mouths of the lions. God, there's so many lions outside today. They're roaring and we know that the devil is like one and he's seeking to to kill and destroy us. But I pray, God, that this church is a safe place and if there's anybody here that doesn't know you and doesn't know how you can show up and show out in our lives and in this church and in this world, no matter what's going on, God, that they would come today, that they would bow before you and that they would seek your power and that they would know that you are God and that you can do anything and everything that we ask you to do. God, things that we know that you are famous for and you do it over and over and over again. I'm so thankful, God, for the way that you've blessed me and my life and my kids and the things that are happening around me. And I pray, God, that I can continue to be a light and I pray, God, that everyone in here can be a light and can go shine that light for you. But God, if there's somebody here that's still in the darkness and they don't have the light within, that they would come and that they would receive your free gift of salvation. That they would claim you, Jesus, as Lord and Savior of their life. I'm so thankful again for this church and for this place of worship. And I pray, God, that you would be with Brother Will and that he would speak the words that we would need to hear and our hearts and our minds would be open to all that you would have to say to us. And God, it's in your precious name, Jesus, that I pray these things. Amen. Thank you, praise team. Give them a big hand for the great job that they do every week. Appreciate that. I want you to pray for Brother Nathan. He leaves at 2.30 today with a van load of teenagers going to youth camp. Eh? So that's awesome. Pray for them. God bless you guys as you go. Have you ever read a story or heard a story and it just absolutely blew your mind? And you were totally amazed and kind of freaked out a little bit. And, and it was a bizarre story, but it was a true story. And you thought to yourself, how in the world could have that happened? Have you ever read a story like that? Have you ever heard a story like that? I've got one for you today, all right? I've entitled this message, Legion, Afraid or Amazed. And it's the account found in Mark's Gospel, chapter 5. This story is found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It made such an impression on these early disciples that three of the gospel writers included it in their books. We're going to read Mark's account because it is in the most detailed of what happened in this amazing story. So here we go, Mark chapter 5. It's a lengthy passage, 20 verses, but you know what? You're going to be spellbound by what's happening in this great story. Mark chapter 5. Are you ready? Here we go. They came to the other side of the sea, to the region of the Gerasenes. As soon as Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an unclean spirit came out of the tombs and met him. He lived in the tombs, and no one was able to restrain him anymore, not even with a chain, because he had often been bound with both shackles and chains. But he had torn the chains apart and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue this man. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and he knelt down before Jesus. And he cried out with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you before God, don't torment me. For he had told him, Jesus had told him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. What is your name, Jesus asked him. My name is Legion, he answered, because we are many. And he begged Jesus earnestly not to send them out of that particular region. A large herd of swine was there feeding on the hillside, and the demons begged Jesus, send us into the pigs so that we can enter into them. 
So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. The herd of about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank and into the Sea of Galilee, and there they drowned. The men who had tended them ran off and reported it to the town and the countryside, and people went to see what exactly had taken place. They came to Jesus and saw the man who had been demon-possessed, sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and also told them about the pigs. When they began to beg him to leave their region, get out of here, Jesus, they said. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged him earnestly that he might remain with them. Jesus did not let him, but he told him, go home to your own people and report to them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So he went out and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people that he spoke to were amazed. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would speak this word into our hearts. And as I speak on the outside, Jesus, would you speak on the inside? In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. Well, here we are on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, uh, north end of the lake. In fact, you know what? I was just there at this particular spot uh, a couple of weeks ago. And, and I knew we were going to go to this spot, and so I anxiously awaited it. It was not exactly like I had envisioned in my mind, whether that be good or whether that be bad. It was just a little bit different. But 95% of historians, archaeologists, and theologians believe that the point Angie and I were standing was the exact spot this particular miracle occurred. Got a couple of pictures to show you. There we are. That's, that's Angie and I. Undoubtedly, right? And, and here we are at this spot. You can see behind us uh, the Sea of Galilee. We're on the east side where the Gentiles live, kind of towards the north end of the lake. The next picture is uh, of the tomb or the cave that it is reported this man, this demon-possessed man, was living in. In fact, there are about three of these small caves. That was the largest one. And again, it is agreed by most historians, archaeologists, that this was the exact spot where this man was hanging out and living. And then finally, the third picture is of the steep bank that the swine must have ran down as they went into the Sea of Galilee. So as I'm telling you this story, I was there, man. I'm envisioning it in my mind. I'm thinking about it. And as I'm telling you this story, I'm, I'm telling you, there are a whole lot of things about this story that are just bizarre, aren't they? I mean, I can remember as a little boy in Sunday school having this story taught to me and thinking back then, Stacy, man, that's just a crazy story. A, a lot of things happen in this story that I don't understand and I have questions about that the biblical text doesn't actually address or answer. But it's a, it's a bizarre story. Here, here is a man coming to Jesus in a shocking condition. You talk about a guy who had a messed up life. This guy's life was messed up. Jesus agrees to a very surprising cure and antidote for him. The townspeople come to Jesus with a very strange request, and Jesus gives the man a very unexpected answer. Here's what's happening on the east side of the northern bank of the Sea of Galilee. Heaven and hell are colliding right here on planet Earth. And it's happening in a man's life. Heaven and hell are at battle. Now, before we look at the details of the text, uh, there's an underlying issue that I think deserves our attention this morning. In, in reading this story, some people downplay the reality of the demonic, calling it simply symbolic of the evil that is in our world today. Others see it as an ancient way of saying that this man had a very severe mental illness. And what I would say about both of those, wrong. No way. That's not right. Demon possession was real to this man. 
And demon possession was real to Jesus Christ. This is not a story about Jesus healing mental illness. And I am not downplaying mental illness, nor am I saying that Jesus can't heal it because he can. But that's not what this story is about. This story is all about Jesus combating the demons of hell and putting them in their place. A study of the story reveals four different prayers or requests that were made to Jesus. So we're going to look at these four prayers. Are are you ready? Let's get into it. Prayer number one, Jesus, don't torture me. You know who prayed that? Some demons did. Let let me go back and, and review those first eight verses. They came to the other side, that's Jesus and his disciples, to the region of the Gerasenes. Let me pause right here and say, the reason Jesus was going to the east side from the west side is because he was tired, he was worn out. He had been ministering amongst the people, that they had been tugging on him, he had been preaching, doing miracles, and he needed some alone time. So they traveled across the Sea of Galilee, Galilee to the eastern shores in the region of the Gerasenes. As soon as he got out of the boat, right up there on the side of the mountain was a man with an unclean spirit who had just come out of that tomb that I showed you and bowed down before Jesus. He lived in the tombs and no one was able to restrain him anymore, not even with a chain, because he had often been bound with both chains and shackles. But guess what? He just tore those chains apart. He smashed the shackles. Nobody was strong enough to subdue him. He had supernatural strength. He hadn't been taking steroids. He was on demonoids. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when Jesus saw him from a distance, He ran and he knelt down before Jesus and he cried out with a loud voice, what do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you before God, do not torment me. For Jesus had told him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Now, we don't know how this unfortunate man came to be, get this word, infested with demons but he was. The Bible doesn't say how he got them and what he did, but it's useless for us to speculate. He was demon-possessed. We can say for certain who these demons were. These demons were spirit beings who had originally been created by God to serve God in heaven. But you remember the story. There was a revolt in heaven. Lucifer, the devil, Satan, decided he wanted to sit on God's throne. And so he led a revolt in heaven. One-third of these angels followed the devil, and they got kicked out of heaven, down to planet Earth. And so these fallen angels became demons doing the work of the devil, and their purpose is entirely negative. Don't ever make the mistake of thinking the devil and his demons are your friends. They are not. They come to you looking good and in a pretty package, but they are here to kill, to steal, and destroy. They are here to mess up your life. And when they infested this poor man, they drove him from society and caused him personal torment. People tried to chain him and to shackle his hands and his feet for his own safety, but somehow he broke those chains and those shackles, and he was roaming freely on the mountainside. They put him under guard, but the guards could not restrain him. The demons caused this man to act in increasingly bizarre ways so that he ended up living in tombs. He was wild. He was dangerous, naked, tormented. He was isolated, and he was very violent. Nobody could help him, and guess what? He could not help himself. He had been this way for a long time. And humanly speaking, he was a hopeless case. Everybody had given up on him. 
Nobody thought there was any hope for him. It is interesting. Have you, have you ever ran across somebody you thought that of? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No hope for that guy. There's, there's no way anybody can help them. And maybe like Jason, you've thought that about yourself. Beyond hope, a hopeless case. We're going to come back to that. Because you know what? All things are possible with God. Huh? The most shocking fact of this story, and one worth thinking about, is that these demons, get this, these demons knew exactly who Jesus was. There's no debate here about the real Jesus. The demons specifically called him by name, his divine name, Jesus, Son of the Most High God. When the man came to Jesus, he fell down because, you know what, even demons believe there's a God. James chapter 2, 19, and they tremble in his presence. So why did the demon ask Jesus not to torture him? Well, because they knew Jesus could send them back to the abyss forever. So the demons asked Jesus not to send them to the abyss prematurely. Don't torture us. Prayer request number one. Prayer request number two also came from these demons. Send us to the pigs. <laughs> I got to think in first service, that'd be a pretty good sermon right there. Send us to the pigs. Kind of like Pharaoh, one more night with the frogs. Yeah. Let me go back and read verses 6 through 10. When he saw Jesus from a distance, this man ran and knelt down before him. And he cried out with a loud voice, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you before God, don't torment me. For Jesus had already told him, come out from the man, you unclean spirit. What is your name, Jesus asked him. My name is Legion, he answered him, because we are many. And he begged Jesus earnestly not to send them out of that particular region, which was the Decapolis. A large herd of pigs was there feeding on the hillside. The, the demons begged him, send us to the pigs so that we can enter into the pigs. So he gave them, what? Permission. And the unclean spirits came out and they entered the pigs. The herd of about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank and into the Sea of Galilee, and that's where they drowned. When Jesus commands the evil spirits to come out, they know they're going to have to come out. But what happens next is, is, is bizarre. <laughs> it's, a, it's a round of negotiations between these demons and Jesus. First, Jesus asked the demon who speaks through the man, what is your name? And the man, or more precisely, the demon who's speaking for the group of demons, says through this man, my name is Legion, for we are many. So one demon is speaking for all the demons. And note the change from the singular to the plural. He said, my name is, and then he went on to say, for we are many. And what was his name? Legion. Now, we know the word legion. It refers to a Roman military unit of men. You go back and study it. It's very clear. They, they don't know exactly the precise number, but it's anywhere from five to 6,000 men were in a Roman legion unit. The specific number that I came up with was 5,600. So what was a legion? A lot of men, 5,600. So you're, you're asking to yourself, you mean to tell me there were 5,600 demons in this man? Well, we don't know exactly. Bible doesn't tell us the exact number. It says, my name is legion. So we could suppose pretty clearly that there were 5,600. There were at least 2,000 because that's how many entered the pigs. The point is this, an invading army has moved into this man's life and taken over his personality. It's, it's all this man knows. How in the world could somebody end up with 5,600 demons living inside of them? 
Well, again, we don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. Evidently, Jesus didn't think it was important that we know how it happened, just the fact that it happened. And when the demons realized that they were about to be cast out, they begged Jesus not to send them out of that region. Perhaps this part of the Decapolis was fertile soil for their activity. Perhaps it was a hotbed of pagan activity. We know it was on the Gentile side of the Sea of Galilee. And in the original Greek language, it emphasizes that they repeatedly begged Jesus not to send them anywhere else. And so up above them, there was this herd of pigs And the Bible is precise about this. There were 2,000 of them. And the demons said, send us to the pigs. I I think it's really important that we note this. The demons asked permission of Jesus before they entered into the pigs. So don't you ever make the mistake of thinking demons are greater than Jesus or that Satan is more powerful than God because they are not. Both the devil and his demons were made by God. And don't fall into the trap of treating Satan as if he were some kind of junior God with almost but not quite the same powers of God. That's not true. Satan is a created being who can do nothing without God's permission. And in this story, we see Jesus has absolute control and power over what the demons do and where the demons go. He did back then, he still does today. The actual miracle itself happens pretty quick, just like that. At the command of Jesus, the demons leave this man, he regains his sanity. The demons enter into the pigs, and the pigs rush down the steep bank into the waters where they drown. I guess the big question that at least I'm asking in my mind is, why why did Jesus do this? Why why did Jesus accept this plan? I mean, why why did Jesus send these demons into the pigs? Why not just send them back to the abyss? Again, the Bible doesn't tell us, so we don't specifically know, but this much is clear. The point of this story is not to destroy the demons. No, the point of this story is to deliver this demonized man from the power of the demons. The the pigs are purely secondary. Jesus manifests his authority precisely where the demons had been manifesting their authority, that is, in the life of this man. And Jesus set him free. We can also say that by sending the demons into the pigs, Jesus was providing proof positive of who he was and what he could do. When the townspeople saw those pig carcasses floating in the lake and and when they saw the man clothed and in his right mind, nobody could deny what happened. By his actions, Jesus was saying that, you know what, this one man is worth far more than a herd of pigs. That leads us to the third prayer request. Leave us alone. The miracle is over. The demons have left the man. The pigs are floating in the water. And the demons are nowhere to be found. Jesus has proved to be the absolute master, not only of this earth, but of the spirit world. Even the most powerful demons must do what Jesus says to do. Almost immediately, word begins to spread about the remarkable going-ons of the former madman and this floating herd of deviled ham. Worked hard on that, so enjoy it. Surprisingly or not, depending on your perspective, this miracle was not greeted with approval. Interesting turn in the story beginning in verse 17. The men who tended them ran off and reported it to the town and the countryside. And people went to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the man who had been demon-possessed. He was sitting there, dressed in his right mind. And they were 
they were afraid. Those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told them about the pigs. Then they began to beg Jesus to leave their region. I really think the end of verse number 17 is one of the saddest scriptures that we find in the Bible. Jesus came to bring life, but these people chose death. Jesus came to bring freedom, but they wanted to live in bondage. Jesus came to bring light, but they decided, hey, let's continue to live in the darkness. You would think that they would be grateful that this dangerous man has been healed. He's been cured and is fully clothed. He's in his right mind, delivered by the power of God. But that's not the way it was. As word spread like wildfire, this great crowd gathers they they were amazed by what they saw the the former madman is now a new man and he's sitting at the feet of Jesus he's calm he's clothed and in his right mind the man that they had called crazy was now perfectly normal the man who had ran around naked was now fully clothed the man who had broke the chains was sitting quietly The man who had once had a legion of demons is now sitting calmly at the feet of Jesus. And the response of these people is summed up in three words from the Bible text. They were afraid. They were afraid. I I can't hardly imagine that, but you know what? That's That's the way people are. Change bothers people. even change for the better. This explains to me why dysfunctional families stay dysfunctional. It kind of explains to me how somebody can stay in a destructive relationship even though they don't need to be staying in that destructive relationship. And if they do escape it, they're just going to go back to some other destructive relationship. And when you try to talk to them, here's what they say. Well, at least we know what to expect. When people looked at the man, there was no doubt a miracle had occurred. Yet evidently the pigs mattered more than the man. But to Jesus, this man mattered more than the pigs. And they couldn't handle the transformation. Instead of rejoicing, they were afraid. Of what? Of the man, possibly. Of Jesus? Definitely. They were afraid of anyone with that kind of power because the question is, what's he going to do next? And some of you who are living in sin right now really don't want Jesus to start messing with your life. C.S. Lewis once remarked that Jesus is not safe. Did you get that? Jesus is not safe, but he's always good. He does not always do what we expect, but he always does what is best. So they said, Jesus, get out of here. We don't want you around. And so Jesus leaves the area. Jesus does not stay where he's not wanted. As far as we know, Jesus never went back to this particular region of the Decapolis. And you know what, church? I I think that's worth noting. It's something to think about because here in a moment, Jesus is going to come to you and he's going to knock on your heart's door. What are you going to do? Are you going to say, not today, not now, maybe come back some more convenient time next week, next year, 10 years from now? Jesus is not going to stay where he's not wanted. And today may be the last time he knocks on your door. So if he comes knocking, I pray you would open. That brings us to the fourth request. Let me go with you. Look at verses 18 through 20 and let's read how this story ends. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged him earnestly that he might remain with him. 
Jesus did not let him, but told him, I want you to go home to your own people and report to them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So he went out and began to proclaim in this region, which was known as the Decapolis or Ten Cities, how much Jesus had done for him. And they were all amazed. You know, I'm thinking back on these prayers in this passage. Jesus granted the request of the demons. He sent them into the pigs. Jesus granted the request of the people. He left the region. But he refused the request of this new convert. He didn't allow the man to come with him. Because, you see, in this case, it was far better for this man to stay there amongst his own people. Why? Because they needed him. And he needed to be there. Jesus instructs this man, go and tell. Now, can you remember as a kid, show and tell? Always love show and tell at school. It's great, great, great day. Jesus twisted it here. He said, go and tell. Go to your people, the people you know the best, and tell them what you know the best, what God has done for you. This man was going to be a living reminder of God's power. And do you realize, church, this is where all missionary outreach begins. You start with where you are and you tell people what you know. Jesus heals a demonic and he leaves behind a missionary. <laughs> that's pretty cool. Go and tell. That's what Jesus told him to do. And you know what? Anybody can do that. Don't let anybody tell you you can't do that because you can. You don't have to learn a lot of verses or even memorize some outline. You don't have to be a good speaker or have a winsome personality. You don't have to get permission from anybody else to tell your story. You don't have to write a book or a sermon. You don't even have to have a big audience. You can do it with one person. Go and tell. And that leads me to a very simple question I've got to ask you. What has Jesus ever done for you? Has the Lord ever touched your life or changed you? If so, go and tell. Go and tell the great things the Lord has done for you. The best missionary work begins in your own neighborhood, right where you live. Everybody's either a missionary or a mission field. Remember that. One final observation in life application. I, I, I read through this story and, and I'm amazed. It, it, it is a pretty bizarre story, isn't it? But, but the thing that I get hung up on is the response of the people. One group of people were afraid. They were afraid of the power of Jesus. They were afraid, look at me, they were afraid of what Jesus might do next. They were afraid of what Jesus could possibly do to them. Even though what he did to this man was a great thing, they were afraid. So they said, Jesus, leave me alone. The other group heard the exact same story. And what were they? They were amazed. Other Bible translations, Gail say, they marveled. They marveled at the master. And what it comes down to is this. I realize, all week as I was preparing, I realized that as I preached this sermon, you would have the same response. Everybody in here is going to respond in one of those two ways. Either you're going to be afraid and say, I don't want none of that, or you're going to be amazed and say, do it to me, Lord. <laughs> no neutral gown, Don. I mean, it's... One way or another, you're going to walk out of here empty or you're going to walk out of here full. And here's the life application. Do you have a messed up life? Is, is there anything right now in your life that's just a little messed up? Come on, be honest. Come on. Come on. Come on. Let me tell you, if it ain't right now, it's going to be because we live in a messed up world. And I hear people all the time saying, 
There is no way, there is no way God could straighten this mess out. Either about themselves or about family members. No way. You know what? I'm, I'm saying this with all the love I can. Your life may be a mess. I've seen some pretty messed up lives. But I don't care how messed up it is. You ain't as messed up as this guy was. No way. No way you have 5,600 demons inside of you. And watch what I'm about to do. This man really was demon-possessed. But I'm going to twist that and use it symbolically. That demon could represent something that has a control in your life. It could represent some kind of bondage that the devil has you in. Maybe it is an addiction. It could be alcohol. It could be drugs. It could be pornography. It's a chain. And the devil has you bound. And you don't see any relief. Your bondage could be something like bitterness or anger or resentment. It could be a dysfunctional family or situation you're in. But I don't care how messed up it is, and my throat is pretty messed up right now, isn't it? (coughs) Everybody cough with me, come on. (coughs) Get out of there, demon. (laughs) It doesn't matter how messed up it is. My Jesus can set you free. I don't care how big those chains are, David. Jesus can break the chains. So don't be afraid. Stand amazed at what he can do in your life. Don't walk out of here in bondage when Jesus can set you free. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would do that right now in the lives of so many people in this room and even, dear Lord, those watching online. I pray that the Holy Spirit of God would set us free and as as we come and pray for deliverance today from, from whatever it is, whatever chain the devil has on us, I pray that the power of God would set people free today. Lord, no, no doubt there are others in this room who have family members. Maybe it's a, a precious child or a grandchild who is held in bondage by the evil one. Lord, may we care enough about them that we come and intercede for them at this altar. Do something great in this service. Do something wonderful and amazing in our lives. And we will marvel at you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'm going to ask that you stand, heads bowed, eyes closed, as Jesus speaks to you. Hurry to the altar. He's waiting on you. He's going to break your chains. Would you come? for somebody that's held captive by the evil one. Come and intercede for them, would you? We've all run to things we know just ain't right.
Jesus, I love you so much. I'm thankful that you have power over the enemy and power over the devil. And dear Lord, for those in this room and those listening who are bound with chains from the evil one, I pray that that bondage would be broken today. In the name and in the blood and in the power of Jesus, I pray that you would set men and women, boys and girls free today. Help us to be amazed at your grace and your mercy and your power. Lord, we pray that you would be the supreme ruler of our life and we submit ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Lord, I love you. I praise you. I thank you. Have your way in our church, in our families, and in our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Everybody said... Amen, amen. If you know it, sing it. He can break the change in your life. Give him a hand. That's great. I want to thank you for being here today. Uh, as you walk out the door, make sure you drop your offering in, in those black boxes. I certainly appreciate your love to the Lord and your faithfulness in giving. Uh, if you're a guest, fill out one of those guest cards. Take it to the Connect counter. We have a gift we're going to give to you. Pray for Nathan and our teenagers leaving at 2.30, going to be at camp all week. Would you join me every day? Let's tell you what, at noon, high noon, let's pray for our teenagers at camp. Uh, They're going to be there with a whole herd of other teenagers. What a great time and place for them to surrender to God's call in their life. So join me at noon. We'll pray for our teens and pray for Nathan too. He needs it as well. He's, you know, 6.30 tonight, uh, Bible study online. You can tune in. I think Brother Johnny's teaching that and then come back on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock, we have uh, things for all ages. Uh, VBS is coming up. Vacation Bible School. Mark it on your calendar. It is July 11th, 12th, and 13th. That's Monday night, Tuesday night, and Wednesday night. It's going to be a great time. Uh, Brother Johnny's going to blow it out this year. He's got all kinds of prizes and gifts and cool things going on. So begin praying about that and uh, start thinking of little kids you can lasso and drag up here. I'm sure there are some bad kids in your neighborhood you need to you need to drag up here so anyway love you guys hope you have a great day a great week stay out of trouble